Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. CinemaSins has a fan club. It's called The Sin Club, and members get all sorts of things like early episodes, bonus videos, merch discounts, and even monthly bonus podcasts. Membership starts at $3 a month, and you can sign up now at patreon.com slash cinemasins. Um, people being willing to give me the money, I think. And right. <laughs> yeah. And True. writing, uh, yeah, yeah. Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined by Jonathan Watkins. Hello, hello. And today we have a very special guest. It is Corinna Faith. Uh, who has uh, written and directed a movie called The Power, uh, coming out on VOD, Digital HD, and DVD on September 21st. Corinna, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It still makes me very happy hearing that list of information that I have. actually <laughs> <laughs> there in the world. It's very nice. Yes. <laughs> um so the title of this movie is very simple but it has a lot of different meanings to it could you discuss the meaning of the power in this movie um well the literal meaning is that um the story takes place in uh, over one night during a power cut um in a hospital uh a rolling mm-hmm. blackouts that took place in the 1970s um in the UK enforced blackouts um the film is very much about power dynamics and who has the power Mm -hmm. and who doesn't and a character starting with very little power and where she goes with that Mm -hmm. so i mean you can come at it from as you say many directions yeah yeah um that what the 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 blackouts I, I read a little bit on this uh on this stuff this is uh, uh was it was it something about mining miners uh, uh that just uh, the coal production wasn't as as much i guess uh the, that that the reason for the blackouts like it was a forced blackout um well yeah the simple version is that the unions um the workers' unions, which were very powerful at the time in the 1970s, were demanding better rights and pay. And um, mm. they were in conflict with the government and they were making threats to hold the production of power to the country, hold it back. And the government um, retaliated by saying, OK, we won't use so much power and we'll have power cuts. Um, so there was mm, wow. yeah. on and off rolling blackouts uh, over those two years. Uh, was, what was your inspiration for for this film? It was a bunch of things that came together. Really, um, I was looking 
for something to write a ghost story about, um, which mm-hmm. is perhaps harder than it sounds. Um, they're quite mm-hmm. simple, little delicate things, I think, but not necessarily often enough to sustain something meaty. Um, and I was interested in setting it in the 70s simply because um, I'm interested in 70s horror. And I, I was just curious and thinking about mm-hmm. that world. And then at the same time, um, horribly, there was quite a variety of big scandals breaking in the news about institutional abuse that had been hidden for decades. And a number of these were... Mm emanating from the 70s I mean it was a mixture of of things but there was a really big key one with a presenter called Jimmy Savile I don't know if you're aware of of that story he was a very iconic Uh, I'm not yeah he's hugely iconic um British TV presenter who everyone who was young in the 70s knew about him and he worked with children basically and he also had access to the tools so it was a very disturbing story they were all very disturbing and and in real world terms very horrifying um Mm -hmm. so i i was feeling um just a lot of uh sadness about the the young lives and all the lost voices and hidden voices that were involved in these scandals and that concealment um felt like a ghost story so that was the territory and then i was looking around at that era for visuals and came across this amazing image of of a woman working in the 1970s um, at a desk job being a secretary but she was in total darkness and lit by an oil lamp and it was such a kind of Victorian gothic ghost story type image Um, but it was in the 70s um, and then I realized there was this perfect crossover with the kind of uh gothic tradition which i love and that time um and that's how it all came together yeah yeah there's a there there's a you know uh, i guess it's a foreshadowing of some sort where you you know you look at the air conditioning ducts in mm-hmm. these uh in this hospital and there there's this black uh dust coming out of it and it doesn't look like it's been cleaned for years and uh and uh you know you 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 base uh you know your um your supernatural entity in this movie gale uh, mm. uh you you sort of blanket her in darkness all the way throughout and this blackout these rolling blackouts are a way for her to come out into this hospital yeah um do you, is this sort of, this is what you were sort of uh you know trying to accomplish with this character yeah I had this sense of um you know people and their voices that had been hidden um and kind of locked away into darkness and that felt that that was that kind of gave me the structure for the whole idea that in a way the more dark it was in our story the more present Gail can be and the more she Mm -hmm. can access and have this very um uh, extreme relationship with our protagonist and reach out to her. Um, so yeah, it was the combination of the psychology of darkness and this uh, concealment of things that are all around us that we shut off um, and don't want to see, um, and just the literal fear of the dark. Yeah, 
I imagine that's a, a challenging thing to shoot your movie. Like I guess 50% of it or more is in darkness all the way through. Yeah, that was a challenge. It was a fun challenge with my um, DP, Laura Bellingham, trying to work out mm -hmm. um, what darkness can be because we didn't want it to be one thing all the way through because we thought it would be quite exhausting to watch uh, if it was just mm -hmm. constantly straining to see what was going on. And and really in film, there is so many degrees <laughs> right. of darkness and that sometimes like, you know, in some films, somebody will be running through a, a forest in the middle of the night and it will be bright, <laughs> bright kind of blue light. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you yeah. kind of get away with all sorts of dark in a, in a film. We, we did want moments where it, re it really is intense for the audience as well and you're really struggling to, to see what's going on in the way that um, Val would be. Uh, but there are lots of other degrees of it all the way through. And we tried to think about where the light moments were going to be literally as well. Um, but yeah, it was quite uh, technically challenging working with the very unreliable gas lamps and dark. Yeah. Uh, this is your feature debut. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's been a yeah. long time. So yeah. So what what uh, what what finally clicked for you to to get to this point where you were you were ready to direct a full length uh, motion picture? Um, people being willing to give me the money, I think, and writing. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, writing. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you need that. It's an expensive thing trying to make a film, um, but just the coming together of all those elements. So having enough confidence from the industry and a script that made sense to the um, financiers who backed the project. Um, and you need all those mm -hmm. pieces to align. Uh, great producers that I had helping me for years beforehand to keep it going and, um, and put it together. So a lot of persistence, I think, and resilience uh, was the main ingredient. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I do want to talk about your cast and your lead, uh, Rose Williams is, uh, who plays Val is terrific in this. Mm. Um, uh, she's, I, I mean, instantly there's just something in her eyes or something like that, that, you know, that she is, uh, a kind and caring person, uh, throughout this, but Val, uh, has to go through some stuff in this where she's writhing on the floor and, and, and doing a lot of physical acting and everything. Mm. Uh, I was just wondering if Rose Williams was okay after the filming of this movie, because she seemed <laughs> to do a lot of, a lot of, uh, crazy stuff yeah. in this. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about your, tell us about uh, your cast. Well, just to focus on Rose for a minute, because the whole, I personally think the whole cast are really fantastic. And we were, we just really lucked yes. out with everyone that signed up for it. And, and my brilliant casting director, Carleen Crawford, who's got fantastic taste. Um, but Rose, mm -hmm. in terms of what you just said about something in her eyes, that was exactly the experience I had. I saw a tiny little clip of her. She was in the States at the, at the time and she did a little record um, along with a whole bunch of other people. And she, instantly I just thought that is somebody you can really empathize with. She bought 
a pathos to the character that I thought was so valuable because mm-hmm. we have so little time with her, especially at the beginning. Um, so to get on her side is incredibly useful and a great way into the story, um, the, the quite dark story uh, for the audience. So um, that was quite special, the way that she was cast, really. And in, she was... Um, clearly very collaborative when we had our casting conversations very much had her own take on why she wanted to do it which was really important to me because I was super aware that I didn't want to just put someone through the mill and just you know make it an endurance test because it's a very intense part as you say Mm. And I wanted her to come out whole and in a good place on the other side and not to be in <laughs> kind of right. tradition of getting a great leading woman and then uh, completely destroying them, which has happened a little bit, I think, in the past with these um, some of these intense roles. Um, so, yeah, I felt that she had the resilience um, and the ambition for it herself. And then she really took the whole thing on, did a lot of her own research um, and wanted to do her own stunts. So everything in the film, apart from one moment where there's a a smash um, and some glass, is actually Rose performing the stunts herself. Um, We did a lot of workshopping, uh, well, two days of of, um, putting together this big key possession scene without giving too much away um which is Mm -hmm. yeah pretty wild uh but she had actually choreographed that with me um and Mm. learned it so she's actually although it's very extreme she pushed herself to the absolute fullest she knew what she was doing and she knew what each movement was going to be um so there's a kind of control in the madness of it yeah i i I would think that it's not only difficult to choreograph such a thing, but you know, when you say that it's it's kind of mapped out and everything, it's also mm-hmm. hard not to make it look like it's mapped out. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, so, um, so she, I don't know what the trick is there. How you know? I think that is entirely down to the performance. I mean, there's only so much that myself and the and Laura, the DP, could do. Um, we were just capturing mm-hmm. on that day what she was putting out there, and she really went for it <laughs> on that day. So yeah, yeah, she certainly did. Yeah, yeah. So that I is think, all her. Really. I think a lot of, I think a lot of times it's easy because we've seen so many horror movies to, uh, to to think oh well i mean you don't you don't really think about these type of things but i was sitting there going oh my god this must have been just physically exhausting and she might you know she she had to take a big huge break uh between takes or whatever i don't know but uh but uh it's pretty amazing what yeah it was without doubt a tough few days for her emotionally because i think what you can't hide and what the camera captures is that that's an emotionally intense performance as well she's not just throwing herself around she was very brave with the kind of places that she went to mentally and emotionally and and felt really um massively aligned with the themes and felt that they were really important to her as well so i think that's one of the reasons she was willing to push herself so far 
Um, and you and you mentioned uh, that the rest of your cast is great too. Uh, Shakira mm-hmm. Rachman, Rachman, I think that's mm-hmm. how you is that how you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, plays, uh, you know the I can't remember the character name. Sorry, um, Saba, the character, uh, the thirteen-year-old girl, Saba. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and she she speaks a little bit of English, not much, but she keeps wandering away, and we're wondering what's what's wrong with her. She's great in this as well as uh, Devine Henry. Yes, Devine. Yeah, yeah. They were both absolutely brilliant. She's awesome, and uh, and uh, and Emma Catherine Rigby, who plays the sort of the <laughs> the nurse rival, basically Bab. in the movie. Yeah, poor Bab. Babs. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh. You know, this is a what? So, what, how did you find? How did you find these people? I'm sure it's through the normal casting process. They auditioned and everything, but uh, what yeah, what did you I see mean, in them? With the older actors, um, they were found through our casting agent, um. Devine, um, she, she's just, I think she's really striking. Um, she, yeah, I, I met her with, with a few different people. Um, and actually, no, I didn't meet her. This, this was on a tape and I was, it was just something about the recording or the light or something. I wasn't sure that she looked, um, old enough for the part. So I was, wavering and, uh, and not going for it even though I could see she was great because I had a specific kind of age in mind for this character um and she mm-hmm. bumped into my casting agent and said to her look I'm supposed to do this role <laughs> this is my role and I really think <laughs> and when I heard that I was like perfect that's that's amazing so yeah it should be your role because she was obviously bringing so much to it herself um so yeah, she was fantastic. But with uh, Shakira, it was much harder to find somebody um, because again, it was very specific. So Carleen and her team had to do a big, wide call out that was nothing to do with um, drama schools or um, agencies, and she was found a different way. I think it was through her school in the mm-hmm. end. Um, and she is so far from the character that you see on screen. She's a really natural, instinctive actor because you, you can't tell, but she's a very, very sassy East London girl. <laughs> Doesn't speak that language at all. Had to learn it all for the film. She's very contemporary. Mm. Um, so that's how mm-hmm. good she is. Um, and her and Rose just really clicked and had a lot of fun together and looked after each other. And, and Shakira just made us laugh all the way through. So when you're dealing with such a mm-hmm. content, that was a real joy. This, uh, this institution, this hospital is, uh, ridiculous, ridiculously toxic. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. It's, it's almost unbelievable, but, uh, I mean, this is, I, I, I think almost every man in this, in this hospital is, is got some sort of, uh, he, they're, they're bad people. Um, it's it's a, it's a scary place to work at. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it isn't, it is unbelievable in that it's not real (laughs) and it's a very heightened version. Right, 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 right. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's really kind of pneumatic. Um, but I would add as well that 
I, I suppose what I was interested in is the many different ways in which all kinds of people play into um, toxic institutional situations where vulnerable mm-hmm. people fall between the cracks. And yes, there is somebody awful who's a perpetrator, but yeah, it, it for a large a large bunch of people for it to happen this as often as it has done, it's much more complex than that. And sadly, many of us will be playing some kind of role in that, even if it's just finding it too difficult, too difficult to engage with. So with the female characters, I was also thinking about their responses and how they're involved really in the oppression, however subtly. Um, Really the only character who's, fully redemptive in the story is matron because she's able to kind of Mm -hmm. deal with the reality and then do something with it but nobody else can yeah um it is it is kind of like there are there are nurses here who seem institutionalized where they they just kind of oh well that's that's boys being boys and we'll just deal Mm -hmm. with it Mm -hmm. and uh and and it's not a big deal and then they don't even believe uh, people when they say that there's something wrong going on here and especially with this character who you know we we learn uh, a lot about her early years who just sort of uh comes up to we 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 finally learned the ultimate truth later but she uh had a similar situation where she was not believed uh mm. early on in her in her years and it's well known that she did this uh and and so it adds an extra you know layer of of uh incredulity to everybody else in the institution um and uh it's just a I, I don't know how you fight against that stuff i mean you need a gale in your life almost right to 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 uh to fight against these these kind of yeah. things yeah well i suppose there are gales out in our world um but um mm-hmm. I, I mean I, that's Another thing that it was the story is very much talking about is that unfortunately, as a society, we haven't believed women when they've spoken up about things mm-hmm. or children. Um, and that isn't a male or female thing. That's a, a societal group thing. Um, but it's been very dominant and huge. And, and I, I guess it's such a... Um, heartbreaking, exhausting thing to see. And this story is a kind of cathartic um, smashing of that, if you know what I mean. I mean, it, she, she, they mm-hmm. find a breakthrough and she, and she is heard in a way. Um, so yeah, I th- right. it was very much circling around those ideas. The, uh, and, and just the casual way. I mean, it's, it, it sounds like a, an innocuous remark, but uh, one of the doctors uh the one that the one that val sort of befriends uh in the movie uh mm-hmm. uh casually says something like he gets her in trouble basically because she's not supposed mm-hmm. to talk to doctors because doctors are above them and so on and so forth and mm-hmm. uh he he takes a shine to her and and uh and then he's like oh yeah i'm sorry i got you in a little trouble there they kind of let us do the it, whatever we want here as doctors and it's an innocuous remark but it's also a dangerous remark yeah. uh, in in the movie that uh, comes back to, to uh, it comes to roost so to speak 
Yeah, I think um, there's not a huge amount of dialogue in the film, but nearly all of it Mm -hmm. is is about the little ways that people have power over each other, even if it seems innocent. Yeah. Um, Particularly the whole front half, everyone's kind of stating their position. Um, And Val frequently finds herself on the wrong end of that, the losing end coming in thinking that she does have some, um, uh, you know, that she's earned the right to be there um, and she wants to impress and, and she's she's got some status um, in a way, but that's very quickly undermined, um, which I think is the difficult thing about institutional setups. I think it kind of, it pits people against each other in that way. Um, and that's yeah. everyone's doing. I, I just think, I think it's also interesting how you play the idea that her wanting to be helpful and her wanting to actually, you know, what she believes nurses should be doing, mm. uh, gets her into trouble with other nurses, basically. Like they, like they kind of judge her for that, you know, Babs, uh, you know, she, I don't know. I guess she kind of misspeaks to Babs a little bit, but Babs takes something the wrong way. And then the other two nurses, the ones that are with the babies, yeah. Um, you know, she, you know, they ask her why she wanted to be a nurse and she's like, cause to help people. And then they just kind of laugh at her. And then I think that affects how they, uh, deal with her later too, um, in some ways, which is, I thought was fascinating, you know, I suppose like, you know, like I politics or, or all sorts of things, there is this kind of jaded feeling um once you're really engaged with it that you can't change the system and that's the the, the really dangerous thing isn't it because then it becomes more important to toe the line because otherwise you're going up against things and it's just going to be a personal cost to you when you can't actually have any individual impact um and i i mean that that's been the amazing thing about the me too movement hasn't it and and Black Lives Matter just mm. um, th- th- smashing that concept really, and and just refusing to um, to toe the line. Uh, so this story was actually written quite a long time before those uh, movements erupted over the last few years, but it's been yeah. very interesting to think about it in relation to that. Uh, what what was your hardest day on set, uh, Corano? What was the uh... What was the uh, one that Ooh. you're like, I'm going to quit movies forever. Oh. <laughs> I didn't ever feel that. I really, I really absolutely um, relished it despite all the, all the stress. Um, there was sort of what I hear. I mean, it's yeah. the problem solving, right? Yeah. I love the problem solving. I absolutely just was in heaven working with a crew and I had been writing on my own for years. So it was just so fantastic to just, see this story world that had been in my head coming to alive through other people's um, talents and ideas. And that was just so just exhilarating. So even at my worst days, mm-hmm. still some, some good moments, but there was a couple of, it was a very tight schedule, very little time as most directors, mm-hmm. especially low budget directors will tell you that's a really big challenge. Um, and we were working in a particular part of the hospital, which everyone in the end up, not everyone, but some people in the end felt like was the haunted part of the building. There's quite a few mm. weird things happening. <laughs> yep. Um, and uh, we a generator broke down. We only had a day in that part of the hospital to shoot, so that was 
really bad and we lost a lot of time. We managed to get another oh, wow. generator. That broke down as well. Third generator. Oh, wow. By this point, we'd lost nearly the entire day, which is huge. Out of the shoot. And then It's that- like you were actually filming in the 70s for a day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> first generators, which was not a good one. Um, and then we had another day that was just the cursed uh, gas lamp day where it just kept breaking all the way through and we took about <laughs> half a day to a gas lamp. So, um, yeah, you can't predict what's going to be tricky, but uh, that's what it was. <laughs> yeah, and you you actually shot in a hospital or mm. was, there a set, was there a set for a lot of it? No, it's a real um, hospital. It took us, well, we were just very lucky because we were looking for years for the right place um, and I couldn't find mm-hmm. anything that I thought had enough scale because there was quite a lot of scale written into the story, into the script, uh, long corridors and mm-hmm. enough for the light to fall into total dark, which was really important. Um, and then this place became fully available. Lots more corridors opened up and stuff and it was completely decommissioned as an NHS hospital just before the shoot a few weeks before. So I was very lucky. Um, and it, Oh wow. Yeah, it was, um, a Victorian psychiatric hospital. So it's very old, had been used Mm. by the NHS in lots of different ways. Um, and then, like I say, had just been finally closed its doors to its last types of patients. So we had the run of the place, but it's a very atmospheric kind of, um sad building really because it's got so much um Mm. feels like it has quite a lot of heartbreak in it uh but but yeah space in terms of the scale and the shapes and the corridors so it was a real so fun to film there and then we created our wards designed them in the way that we wanted to with all the exact color palettes and stuff within wards that were already there and just kind of changed the shape. So it was, uh, it was fantastic in the end. And I think it feels like another character in the story, which is what I wanted. Yeah. That's something that uh, you'll notice right off the bat in this, in this movie is uh, you know, you have that uh, you know, you you take the camera towards the, uh, the map of the levels uh, that they're on and, uh, and then it, it, the camera then starts to show you the, all the corridors around, and especially in that one scene where the power is going out, where she mm-hmm. sees the one huge dark corridor and then one lit up corridor that's about to be dark. Uh, you suddenly get the, you, that's a, that's the part in the movie where you're just like, Oh, Oh no, she's going to be in the complete dark. How does she even get through <laughs> yeah. any of this? Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I understand why you waited. I now understand why you waited so long to get the set that you wanted, because if yeah. you don't have that, then right. kind of get a claustrophobic feel maybe, but you don't, yeah. it, it no, doesn't have the same effect. Yeah, which is why we we kept looking and looking, and that particular image was in the script from the very beginning. That's probably one of the only things that stayed from draft one to draft however many. Um, Mm -hmm. And everybody luckily agreed that we really did need to try and find that scale because also you just want to feel like this little character is is swallowed up by this building and this institution and, and up against it in so many ways um and really small in that massive darkness so yeah you wouldn't get the same effect if um if you didn't have these huge long spaces was there ever a point where uh 
you know, somebody was like, all right, well, we're just going to have to get the best possible one that we can possibly get right now. Or were you yeah. just like, never, I'm not going to make this. <laughs> well, <Okay. laughs> Matt and Rob, uh, my producers, what they kept having to flag that because um, that was the reality we were facing. But actually, uh, we we had Good Maze, which was this hospital in our mix. Um but I mm-hmm. was reluctant because only a few bits of it were available. Um, and I was concerned mm-hmm. that we just wouldn't have enough control over the environment and I wouldn't be able to create the visual world I wanted because we wouldn't be able to paint it and and really control the tone and the look of the film. So I was resisting. But then, just like I say, suddenly they said, oh, well, we're actually closing the whole building so you can have the whole place. Locations must be just uh, a nightmare sometimes, right? We just talked to somebody who did a who did a movie called The Last Matinee, where oh, yeah. he shot at an actual movie theater, and and uh, and uh, you know he had to come in like during the last showing of The Lion King at a real theater and start <laughs> setting up cameras and lighting and stuff <laughs> like that. Amazing. And it's like yeah. it's like man, there's uh so yeah. many things that you have to worry about on these exactly things. yeah so i was that's what i was uh, trying to avoid really was was having to work around actual patients and their opening hours of the surgeries that were in there <laughs> that <laughs> nightmare. Oh, oh god <laughs> so i feel for the other director it's yeah. tough um but the locations are so important and and the other thing that i big ambition i had for this project was that i i really wanted to find and work in somewhere real um that actually had a genuine atmosphere that we would try and capture mm-hmm. the images and try and kind of transmit it to the audience for that extra um layer of atmosphere and anxiety um and for rose to have that to work with as well um and draw on and that place just had bucket loads of it so um yeah it, it couldn't have been better really it's certainly certainly does uh the in the and the basement was the basement like that or did you have to dress it up a little bit yeah no the basement we created i mean actually the whole hospital is a is effectively a bungalow it's all on one level <laughs> it's just one really big, oh really yeah long spread out building so we shot the staircases in another uh building um and we had to just okay. manufacture the sense that it's multi-level, um, which is why I had the idea for the map and to try and kind of, you know, trick the audience into buying that this place has uh, lots of lots of levels and that she's um, <laughs> high, stuck up on the top. I bought it. She's right down. Good, good. Um, so the basement is actually <laughs> <laughs> the basement's on the ground floor with windows. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, the mm-hmm. production designer Fran Mazorial uh, did a fantastic job just gathering together tons of crazy junk and blacking it all out and making it mm. feel like it it should be underground. Yeah, yeah. It, it it sounds like you had a really really good time with the uh, changing some of the you know the, making your own making the hospital your own thing. It sounds like yeah, it was quite amazing. I mean, th- a lot of that is down to the amazing art department and production designer Fran. Um, yeah, they just really. I, I was just very much in sync with all my HODs. So that is the kind of massive piece of luck that you sometimes get, I suppose, um, that they 
could just read exactly what I was talking about and what I wanted. And they, we were very much in sync. So they created the space exactly as I imagined it really. <laughs> yeah. What an awesome feeling that must be. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, especially uh, it's your, it's your feature debut and, and you, you know, I mean, uh, and you, you know, you get something like that to, to, to work just the right way. I mean, you could obviously run it, you could have, you could have bad people that work with you or something that just don't, don't know what they're doing. And then, oh, yeah. uh, you know, Easily. whatever, but you sound like you found the right people. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, again, that's great producers to, to line up the right people, but yeah, it, it could be, it so could easily be scuppered by the wrong personality with you. Um, but luckily we didn't have any of that. Yeah, well, you were uh, you were talking about atmosphere, and you also mentioned earlier your uh, enjoyment of uh, '70s horror. Was mm-hmm. there any specific influences? I mean, I'm, a, I'm Chris, and I both are huge '70s horror guys, so <laughs> and I definitely felt that while I was watching this. Yeah, yeah. well, it's not obvious at all, um, but uh, "Let's Scare Jessica <laughs> to Death" is a bit of a favorite. That is. That is the movie I thought of while I was watching this. Oh, no really? Joke. That is really? so weird. I mean, I, just, yeah, yeah. I don't know how. Well, it's just that, I mean, there's nothing, there's no literal comparison, but there's something about that. No, no. And the kind of neurosis of the central female character and the place she goes to and that kind of descent. Um, and the yeah, very I, strange heightened atmosphere that I've always been very drawn to. Yeah, I couldn't really pin my finger. I couldn't really like pinpoint why, but like that was a. I mean, that was one I was thinking about. I think it's just the mm-hmm. you know you don't really know exactly who's trying to do what. Like what's like right. if there are people trying to do something to her, or you right. don't exactly know what's going on for a while. So I think that's the main thing. Yeah, that's and true. Uh, you know, the, I think the characters are kind of similar. Yeah, that's true. And in Let's Scare Jessica to Death, like you say, you don't really know who to be, who you should be most afraid of. Um, yes. That is a, a really <laughs> right <incredible> thing <laughs> about that film. Um, and, and whether it could so should be scared of herself more than anyone else in a way, um, which is there's a similarity between that and the power as well. Um, they're so interesting. That's cool. Well, I'm glad I, I'm glad I wasn't wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, also, they're not horror films, but they're disturbing. Um, the two early Robert Altman films, Images and um, Three Women, um, they were a big oh, nice. in terms mm. of sound design and kind of quite informative with my visual approach um, and the palette. And we took a lot of stills from those films and looked at them and... Um, they fed into the production design and the cinematography a lot. Um, so that That's was awesome. fun because I didn't really, I didn't know much about his early body of work. So I was excited to discover that and realize that it was what a lot of what I was trying to do was there um, to learn from. Oh, that's awesome. I, I watched this movie uh, with a pair of head, headphones. So I, I got, you know, the full effect of uh you know the voices that were you know uh you know talking during the movie like the voices mm. that maybe is in her head or maybe not or whatever and uh yeah that's awesome i i that it's it's amazing what you draw influence from sometimes right like uh, mm. it's it just it's not horror movies but here's something where they did something that i ended up uh you know felt inspired by and did in my own film so that's mm. uh, amazing yeah yeah i mean i 
was the sound design in the 1970s, um, like with images, which is very kind of overt and disturbing. Um, that That is very present in this film, I'd say. Uh, the movie is uh, The Power. Uh, we'd like to thank uh, Corinna Faith for giving us her time. Thank you so much for, for talking to us today. Oh, I enjoyed it. Thank you for watching. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be on VOD, Digital HD, DVD on September 21st. Uh, that's going to do it for this interview. It's Chris Atkinson and Jonathan Watkins. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com.